Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden from the Stellenbosch University Center for Chinese Studies in lovely Cape Town, South Africa. How are you today, Kobus? I'm very good, thanks, and you? Wonderful. Well, it's been a rather quiet week on the China-Africa front. We've had a, I'd say, a busy nine or ten weeks where there's been just one major news event after another. Whether it's been some of the anti-Chinese immigration laws that we've seen, whether it's been U.S.-China military operations off the coast of East Africa, but this week it's been a, a little bit quieter. And so, Cobus,、uh, who every week kind of picks our topics, thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of take another look. At the increasing cooperation in the Sino-African tech sector, and every time tech comes up in this space, we always go to Siswe、uh, Inlovu, and、uh, who is based in South Africa. Siswe,、uh, you're a student, if I remember correctly, right? Correct. Okay, and、uh, and tell me, where are you studying right now? I'm studying at the University of Cape Town. Just about to finish my computer science major. Excellent. Well.、Uh, Sizwe、uh, has been on the show before, so he may be familiar to you, and、uh, he also has just a really great appreciation for kind of how China and Africa are getting together on the tech sector. So, with that in mind, we're going to take a look at really two technology stories this week, and then kind of touch on one very, very minor political issue going on. First, we're going to talk about、uh, VMK of Ron Manku, who is a really great guy.、Uh, he is the guy who you may have heard of the first kind of African. Tablet that came out, and this was the Way C that came out in 2011, and then he re- more recently launched、uh, a smartphone. And, it, and the reason why this is important for China, Africa, it's because it's designed in, in in the Congo and built in China. So we'll get Cizwei's opinions on what he thinks of that trend, and if there's more potential to do that elsewhere in Africa. Right now, Verone seems to be the only one who's doing it on the scale that he's doing it. And then we're going to talk a little bit about South Africa. And、uh, and China and the tech investments in that space, in part because both Cobus and Seasway are there, and take a look at at least one partnership that has done excessively well. Nashbirds, I think I said that correctly, and、uh, and uh, did a very good investment in Tencent. And then finally, just before we go, we're going to talk very very briefly about one political issue on the agenda, and that is, of course,、uh, China this week said that it was going to offer its support. To the government in Mali against、uh, Islamic rebels in the north. So we'll kind of talk about what that means and what the implications are for the regional peace、uh, in West Africa. So let's get started、uh, right off the top. I'm going to go right to Seasway first before、uh, normally we go to Kobus. So Kobus, forgive me on this one, but Seasway, when you look no, at、uh, when you look at,、uh, at at the Congo tablet, the Waisi, and now the Elikia, which is、uh, this is the, the Lingala word for hope. Uh, Lingala, of course, is the Congolese dialect, and we should make it very clear that we're not talking about DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're talking about the Republic of Congo in Brazzaville.、Uh, and so, when we talk about the Congo tablet and the Congo phone,、um, you know, he is not the VMK. You know, products are not the best products that are out there. They certainly don't compete with the Samsung technology. They don't compete with Apple and whatnot. But they are generating a lot of excitement. What do you think is behind the excitement? Well,、um, simply because the well, the tablet itself is a very—I think it's a very affordable solution. It's very—it's an affordable alternative as opposed to you know your iPads and your Galaxies, etc., which are more of for the you know the you know the the more developed markets,、um, such as you know in America, and Europe, etc. This tablet as well, I think, also because that it's it's made in Africa, there'll be a lot of support from locals in Africa as well to 
kind of um, you know carry on you know, to use these products. Well, not necessarily it was made in Africa, but because it's made, well, it was it's an African entrepreneur who's actually implementing this from here in Congo. And now even the smartphone, I mean, I, I actually read that the smartphone is actually going for um, around about one hundred and seventy dollars, which is you know quite an affordable entry entrance price into the market for a lot of these communities. So I think yeah, it's a it's a very good alternative, you know, to an iPhone or just you know your Galaxy S three or you know one of those sure. way more affordable phones. Well, let's, let's talk about the Elkia smartphone. It's uh, got a six hundred and fifty megahertz processor, about five hundred and twelve megabytes of RAM, one hundred twenty six megabytes of internal memory, thirty two gigs of uh, of external memory. Uh, not the fastest. It doesn't have the the best battery life. And again, we go to you know this is not a direct competitor with uh, with what we're seeing coming out of the major manufacturers. But uh, Cobus, as we heard from Seasway, this idea that it was made or designed in Africa and made in China is, is generating a lot of excitement. But the question is for me is do you think African consumers are going to be persuaded that just because this is their first kind of piece of of this kind of technology coming from the continent that will be enough? to take them away from the, the, the traditional players like Nokia and, and, and Samsung and, and even BlackBerry to some extent, particularly on that low end uh, of the market? Yeah, I think BlackBerry might be a significant challenger. Um, you know, kind of BlackBerry obviously has had a lot of problems um, in the Northern Hemisphere, but they're aggressively expanding in Africa. And, um, uh, you know, among people I know, you know, who most of my acquaintances have smartphones now, and, and the majority of, the, of them have Blackberries. And Blackberry is a very, um, is a very kind of aggressive expander here. Um, I think, you know, kind of the one place that you would be able to, to, uh, to undercut them would probably be price. You know, I mean, $170 is not, it's not super cheap for Africans, but, you know, it's much cheaper than an iPhone here. Um, in fact, I think an iPhone is what, about three times as much in South Africa, maybe, maybe yeah. a little bit more than twice as much. Um, and, uh, you know the so I think you know that that's going to be one thing. I think another one, another big one, is that he is apparently planning um, an educational tablet computer that's come that that uh, is. I'm not sure when he's supposed to bring that out, but he's um, developing you know kind of a cheap tablet that's going to be exclusively in schools. So that's that's supposed to be going for about a hundred dollars per tablet. Um, I think that would definitely you know kind of open a large foothold for him, not only in terms of. Um, getting more products out there, but also in terms of just kind of building his brand and, you know, kind of making it, you know, building customers from very early on. You know, I had a chance to meet uh, uh, Verone when he was in Paris earlier this year. And uh, he's, again, a really, really great guy and a very nice guy. And and one of the first questions I asked is, why don't you make this in Africa? Why do you have to go to China? And he said the same thing, of course, that every manufacturer says is that, you know, there is one, the China price. Um, Simply the infrastructure in Africa is not there nowhere on the continent, not even in South Africa. Could he find the combination of the infrastructure with the supplying and the sourcing of the technology at the price that the Chinese were able to give? So this is very interesting when we talk about kind of the rising you know, Africa that we're seeing now, this renaissance in the economy, the manufacturing side still faces enormous challenges. And that is creating a supply chain, creating quality controls, and then you have a distribution network that you have to consider. Now, he says it's his long-term goal to bring manufacturing back from China to Africa, particularly to the Congo, uh, and to try and build it there. Seizway, when you look out on the uh, on the tech sector, do you see any anyone else except for VMK 
doing something like this, in manufacturing, taking advantage of that, that Chinese manufacturing prowess, combining with products that are designed locally in, uh, in Africa? Yeah, um, well, that's the one thing that I've noticed about this particularly. There aren't that many um, companies or startups getting involved in the, the, the manufacturing sector of, of tech um, in Africa. You find that the tech scene, it's very, it's more software driven. You know, people are creating software products, you know, online products for people to use as opposed to actually creating tangible hardware and using that um, as a, and using that as a base of or as manufacturing that as a product, it's not very popular in Africa. Um, I think it would also, well, I personally believe um, it would be a very difficult task. Um, it uh, like just it, hardware manufacturing, um, acquiring the labor for that, you know, uh, is, is is quite a, a difficult task as well. I understand even you know your major companies like Apple, they also have their hardware created in China. Um, I mean, it was Steve Jobs himself admitted that you know those jobs are just not going to come back to the U.S. Um, I think one thing, the one added advantage that China has as well, and I think why a lot of um, hardware manufacturers choose to use uh, China is obviously because of the of the labor over there, just because it's way more affordable. The work ethic as well, uh, the the Chinese work ethic is just you know one that is just like arguably like one of the most the strongest ones like in the world i think as well the um it's it's you know it'll be very hard to, to you know to, to bring the jobs back here yeah. to africa which I is it would be. yeah i mean that's not just africa as you pointed out that's also you know the entire world is has a difficulty competing with china when it comes to tech uh cobus one final point on this and i think we, we would be remiss in not mentioning it um, you know, the relationship between China and Africa and technology uh, may not extend to the manufacturing side, uh, but the mineral side is very, very important. And this has been very, a big controversy in the DRC and some of this, you know, this cold, so-called kind of clean mining issues of, you know, do you know where the ingredients in your technology comes from? Uh, there was a new bill or a new measure in the Dodds-Frank finance bill in the United States that was passed that uh, has to basically, you know, verify that the minerals in your technology uh, were not sourced from uh, illicit means and illicit mines. So, uh, just kind of any thoughts a little bit on the on the on the mining aspect of technology in China uh, and and the role that it plays with technology. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I almost hundred percent convinced that what we find here is that uh, you know coltan um, and, and other minerals that are mined, you know, roughly, you know, kind of within driving distance from from uh, you know kind of VMK's headquarters in in, um, in Brazzaville is you know exported to China, in, inserted in the phones in China, then exported back to Africa. You know, um, so you know, and of course that's been the holy grail for African Afri African governments to try and you know benef beneficiate their uh, you know all of these mineral riches, um, but I think this is one of the the hardest ones to do as much harder than you know trying to get extra uh, going the for example the Botswana route and, and, and getting um, diamond cutting done in Botswana um, you know not only diamond mining you know kind of it's it's much harder to to beneficiate these kinds of, uh, of of minerals than it is to beneficiate something like gold um, and you know yeah that, I think that that's a big problem um, before we move on I wanted to actually ask this way a, a question I saw that um, VMK as part of this the smartphone um, 
thing, a smartphone launch, they also launched an app store because apparently the Google, um, the Android app store is not, is not available in the Congo yet. And they also said they wanted to develop apps that are particularly useful to Africans. Do you have any idea of what those apps would be and like whether app stores and kind of app downloading, is that a kind of a, a sector that we should look out for in African tech in the future? Yeah, well, okay, the thing with the Google Play App Store, um, I wasn't too aware that it wasn't available in Congo. What I do know about the, uh, the, the Google Play App Store is that it's, um, it's very uncontrolled. So, y you know, anyone could literally do anything like with, with the App Store. So maybe um, in um, the, the, the VMKC or, or, you know, making this move of creating an App Store, it might, it might be hints that, you know, he'd want to, you know, also that now that you also mentioned that he wants to create, uh, you know, like, apps that create an African solutions. Maybe you want to create some sort of ecosystem you know, for African developers to tackle African solutions, to kind of in incentivize developers to create apps which tackle African solutions. Now, the problem, of course, is, you know, the infrastructure. I think that's one thing which, um, which, which could be, you know, a problem because you find that throughout Africa, most of, um, most of the users in Africa or most of cell phone users in Africa use feature phones as opposed to smartphones and you find that these startups which which target feature phones are the most successful throughout Africa. Um, I'm not too sure if you're, if you're aware of um, Mixit, which is, it's actually yes. stationed in Stellenbosch. They are literally the largest social network in South Africa, but they, you know, they, they've gained that dominance by the application on the feature phones as opposed to smartphones. So, um, I think feature phones right now are like the majority in Africa. So, and I understand that the VMK cell phones, uh, the smartphone runs on an Android system, which I think is a good thing, which, which would allow um, affordable smartphones um, to, the, to use it to the African population. Um, however, apps that could, you know, apps that are targeted at social benefit obviously are only aimed at people who can afford the smartphones. And that could be a problem with the App Store. You know, and I actually... I actually also thought, I just want to add one more final point. I really thought that, um, well, one thing I would have considered, you know, that there is a big infrastructure gap here in, in Africa that could be filled, which I you know, honestly assume maybe China has a really, you know, the big market there that China could actually play a role and just, you know, get, get into. And I'm actually surprised that they haven't done it yet. Well, uh, that's um, not entirely fair, in part because, you know, the Chinese, particularly ZTE and Huawei, um, have been, you know, really laying down more fiber and more mobile connections and, and building out digital connectivity on the continent, I think, than anybody else. I mean, when you talk about infrastructure, what aspect of the infrastructure are you referring to? Is it the, the, the networks? Is it the, the actual lines? What, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, so right now, a few, well, one of the major problems that are faced, that's faced in, in Africa, and I don't know South Africa as well, um, is bandwidth, you know. This is one thing which I, I, I truly know, like I noticed myself when I traveled to, to North America, you know, like the, the affordability and the, just like literally anywhere you went, you just find internet, whether it be through Wi-Fi or like, it was just you know, like everywhere you went, like internet was just not a problem. And um, it seems, I mean, in, in, in Africa, well, I know for myself here in South Africa as well, I mean, I, I have to, you know, I have to budget accordingly. If I'm about to make a Skype call, I have to buy the megabytes, etc., and watch 
watch my money spend and actually have to go to certain places to try and find, um, you know, internet connectivity. And I know that's, that's, that's one huge, huge issue um, out here in Africa. Just the, 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 the larger data coverage, should I say, um, just around the country or around the continent. Well, you know, most yeah. of that, that limited bandwidth on the continent, and the reason why you're getting such a short, uh, you know, you have, you have such a narrow pipe, uh, is that because it comes via satellite. And, uh, or, and then now what's happening, and there's a, there's a fiber, obviously, that comes into a big, giant cable that comes into South Africa. There's a new one coming into East Africa. Uh, and so Rwanda is going to be getting a whole new level of connectivity. Um, North Africa has, uh, has a cable that goes from Italy directly connecting to Egypt and to Libya. Uh, so the, it's really in the sub-Saharan part that is the that is that's really cut off, and I think I read about a fiber, big new fiber connections coming into West Africa as well. So that the, those that bandwidth problem may be solved in the future. There's another infrastructure issue that I wanted to also bring up, and that's you know electricity and power, and that's one of the problems with the feature phones versus the smartphones. And talking about this kind of Africa-China cooperation, uh, there's a company called ReadySet or Phoenix Technologies out of San Francisco. Uh, that has been working in Uganda and now is selling their product across uh, across Southern Africa. Uh, and it's basically a solar power recharging station. And they've been partnering with a South African telecom operator who is putting it into their service so that people can recharge their phones using solar power or you can have solar power charging stations along the side of the street. This is, again, another example of the pairing of African innovation with Chinese manufacturing because their units are all made uh, in China. So look up the, the ready set. Uh, that's, uh, that's their solar power charging. So let's move on now to our second topic and really kind of pick up on what Seasway has been talking about, saying that hardware may not be the place to look for the real China-Africa cooperation on the technology front, but it may be in software. Uh, one of the most um, kind of high-profile examples of this, Okobis, uh, you're going to have to help me with the name again, Nashpers. It's Nashbers. Uh, they they made a very very savvy investment in in, in what was back then uh, a startup social networking company called Tencent, which was built on the back of uh, an instant messaging client called QQ. Uh, Tencent has become one of the largest social networking uh, services in the world, rivaling uh, Facebook and pretty much anybody else out there with hundreds of millions of users. That investment that Nashbers made has now turned into uh, a whole lot of money. So. Cobus was was Nespers um, smart, lucky. What 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 do we attribute this success to, and what opened their eyes to the the potential of the China market? Um, I think they were a combination of smart and lucky. Um, the Nasmus started out as, uh, as, as the, the real name, the Afrikaans name is National Pers. It's, it's, it means the national press. Um, and it was a, it was an apartheid era conglomerate that owned a bunch of, of, uh, of newspapers. I mean, they still owned a bunch of newspapers in South Africa. Um, and uh, so they, they slowly grew themselves. They, um, they uh, branched out into, into uh, satellite TV. Um, they owned the biggest, they now own the, own the biggest satellite TV network in Africa. Um, and then slowly kind of started expanding out in lots of, of, of international markets. But the interesting thing is that they were always um, 
The uh, the CEO of Naspers um, is a guy called Chris Backer, and he's um, he's always been very China minded. Um, and it was um, thanks to him actually that the University of Stellenbosch, where I am, actually has the kind of China um, you know Chinese education the kind of chair that they have. Um, you know he he was instrumental that so full disclosure um, and uh, you know so they but they've been very interested in in, in, um, in investing in China you know so I think they're very interested in, in the sense that they're one of the few big um, African companies that have massive investments in China rather than the other way around um, the other one being South African breweries which is which also has, has very large bottling plants and so on in, in China um, and don't but, forget know, Standard it's, it's, Bank as well yeah. Standard Bank is 20% yes, and Standard Bank as well is the other big one yes. that's right um yeah. No, and so let's, uh, before we get to Seasway, let me give you a couple of statistics now on this investment. A $32 million investment now takes up 80% of all of uh, of, of Nashper's uh, 200 billion Rand market cap. Uh, it, Nashper's is the, the largest holder in, uh, in Tencent with 34% stake in it. And the value of, just to give you a sense of the magnitude of what this is, uh, Tencent is now valued at $57 billion. And that, those are numbers that Mark Zuckerberg must be just dreaming about considering the trouble that uh, <laughs> Facebook stock has run into. Seasway, uh, when, you, when you were last on the show, one of the things that you talked about was how the, the, there's interest at a very, very granular level, small le- level that, uh, that the Chinese are taking, at least in South Africa, in the tech sector, and that participation is happening on lots of different levels. Um, so obviously, this Nashburs deal is a big one. Uh, there's not that many of those. But what's been your experience in looking across, uh, you know, particularly in South Africa, where the, there's potential for, for, for Sino-African cooperation? Well, um, a, lot of, a lot of startups in South Africa all around the, or more specifically, we are here in the in the Greater Cape Town area. I mean, this you know Cape Town area, this Greater Cape Town area, it's 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 a hub. You know, a lot of a lot of tech startups coming out here, and there's a lot of cooperation between Cape Town and more of the Western world. You know, in particular, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. There's a lot of collaboration there. Um, it's there is if if there's been very few. I mean, I've had one personal. Of which was what I spoke about the last time I was on the show, the one person interaction that I had with the Chinese um, venture capitalist who was coming and, and looking for startups to invest in in South Africa. However, um, is a very, I mean, it doesn't happen as much. It hasn't happened often. And when it does happen, um, it does, I mean, it's not really heard of too much. You know, it's, it's not something which is very popular. Um, well, ever since then, it, it, it's just been very quiet. But there is more of the, you know, it's it's much. I think also because of the the way that startups work in 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 Cape Town, it's a very it's kind of like the open free market um, type of way that the that the Western world kind of follows. So there's a lot of colla- collaboration. I know there's a couple of startups which have been going now to Silicon, which have been going to Silicon Valley to take part in in competitions there as well to you know to raise funds for their startups as well so it's the collaboration between the the chinese venture capital market and startups out here aren't really particularly too strong um i think china if if there was collaboration in the tech sector i think um it it would just following what we just most recently discussed would be more of in the hardware type of space um the manufacturing space, yeah. yeah. Or actually, I mean, Cobus, 
uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about culture here. Um, you know, Seasway talked about how there's a spirit of, of collaboration between Cape Town and Silicon Valley and Cape Town. Now, that in part is because there may be some language advantages between the West and, and South Africa. Yeah. Um, there also might be, you know, the Chinese don't have a long history or tradition, and this goes to your experience with Japan as well, of, of partnering with foreigners on the outside in the international community, particularly, I mean, there's business deals where they'll take money, but actually, you know, the culture of collaboration is not something necessarily of international, cross-cultural, multinational collaboration is not something it, that, that's too prominent within the Chinese uh, tradition. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm thinking it'll probably develop in the future. Um, but yeah, as, you know, I, th- I think the Chinese are, are maybe, well, you know, I must speak under correction, but the Chinese might be also used to their kind of role in these interactions, you know, kind of that they are a manufacturing hub um, and that, uh, you know, they, and when they manufacture the, you know, kind of for themselves, when a company like, like Huawei um, manufacturers, they also would probably manufacture China mostly. Yeah. Um, you know, so there isn't really a, necessarily in their minds at the moment a, a big space for collaboration. Maybe. Um, I mean, what what is interesting about Tencent is that apparently half of Tencent um, thousands of of employees are in research and development. Um, so it's it's they're obviously aggressively kind of expanding and they're aggressively um, you know kind of developing and and uh, and registering patents. Um, so it's you know it's it's interesting. I mean, they're clearly not being hindered by the kind of the you know the, the relative lack of international collaboration. Well, let me give a few a few final thoughts on this. So so we've kind of maybe overblown the potential in the in the hardware manufacturing side because VMK at this point and maybe the Ready Set uh, stand as two exceptions, and that there really isn't that much manufacturing going on. There's not a lot necessarily in the software side either. Really, where the the center of Sino African cooperation seems to be on the Huawei. ZTE on the infrastructure side, the laying down of fiber networks, the laying down of mobile networks, 3G. Um, Seasway, to your point, too, you know, Huawei is one of the the largest, the world's largest handset manufacturers, making both feature phones and uh, smartphones. Uh, they're kind of coming into the market with uh, with phones that were designed for the South in the developing world. So uh, dust is a chronic problem for phones everywhere you go. Obviously, dust is a major issue in, 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 in throughout Africa. Uh, so one of the phones that I reviewed when I was hosting Tech 24, which was the France 24 global tech program, was a Huawei phone that was dust and water resistant. Uh, so I can see that the Chinese from their own experience, are going to be building products that may actually be more suitable for the developing markets in in Africa than you would see coming from, say, a Sony Ericsson. Uh, Finally, you know, that may also be the case for some of the software and the development, the social, the online web services. So, Seasway, again, to your point, how feature phones are very important. And, you know, in the, in, in the United States, everybody's de- developing very high bandwidth sites. You may see the Chinese, as as, uh, as Kobus pointed out, pr- producing something that is a very low bandwidth site designed for narrow bandwidth connections on feature phones. So that might be something else to, to look at as well. But uh, not, to over, not to overstate the manufacturing and the, and the software collaboration, but we also probably shouldn't understate the, uh, the connection that's happening uh, with uh, on the infrastructure side on that. So, uh, Seizway, any final comments before we move on to uh, to our last topic? Yeah, there was actually, like I was just reminded yesterday, I was at a, a, a conference and I, I got to speak to one of the CTOs of a startup um, called Gift, which just launched in San Francisco. And he mentioned how they have um, people working on the product in South Africa, in, Sa- in San Francisco, and as well in China. Huh. And... Um, 
So it was actually, you know, I, I literally just remembered it now, and he was actually speaking about how we'd actually like to um, obviously use this to actually get more, you know, more of a, of a, of a set in the Chinese market. So um, this is something I just remembered right now. So I think, you know, there, there is a space of collaboration of sorts, obviously from South Africa to China and yeah, well, yeah in the software sector, yeah. Well, and, and Cobus, just, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you're at Stellenbosch, where obviously there's a China connection, a pretty strong one. And there's also a Confucius Institute, if I'm correct, at Stellenbosch. Yes. And so one yes. of the things that, that might be interesting is as Mandarin does take hold as a second language on the continent, um, and we're seeing, you know, there's some 22 Confucius Institutes, I think, around Africa, uh, there might be, that might be a, a, a place where connections are made. And then also, of course, in the in the exchange, the students' exchanges that uh, that we're seeing uh, that are happening. And so maybe it's on that very individual level, not on a mass level. Yeah, I think it's also, it's going to be very interesting to track how, as that happens, and as there's more and more, uh, you know, interaction between these companies, you know, companies like Huawei and, and the African market, how that's going to shape opinions in Africa, you know, regarding, you know, Chinese, China, the country, um, you know, so one of the weird things that I that I found is that, um, you know, as a Jap- as a Japan watcher, obviously at the moment there's a, you know there's all of this tension between Japan and China around the the Senkaku Island um, you know hysteria. Wait wait um, wait 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 wait. If we say Senkaku, we also have to say the Diaoyu. Yes. Okay. Just want to yes, make that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember the Chinese name for a moment. <laughs> and um, so. And uh, as you know, so this week, Bloomberg reported that um, both Tencent and Baidu um, had these very, very kind of quite strident kind of, you know, patriotic ads with like banners running on them. Um, and the, the Tencent banner was, you know, was saying something, you know, had, had a commemorative banner um, commemorating the Manchurian incident, which was obviously the... The uh, it created it was a, a, an incident that it created a pretext for the, the invasion of Japan, uh, the, the invasion of China by Japan in 1931, and it you know it read never forget the national humiliation in which the people and build a powerful nation, and it's just so weird to think of this you know company an African very Afrikaans company like Naspersh sitting, you know, kind of on the board of Tencent, you know, only 34% of that, and then at the same time, weirdly also participating in this China-Japan kind of, you know, patriotic fervor. It's just so strange. Well, passively participating. You know, there's that expression that nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, uh, just because it's such a popular brand, and nobody will ever get fired in China for bashing the Japanese. So, I mean, so that's a pretty safe, a safe marketing campaign on their part to do it. Uh, let's move on to our last topic today, uh, and really this is not going to be a very long one because we don't actually know very much, but a, a somewhat cryptic news story crossed, uh, across Bloomberg and a couple other uh, agencies last week saying that China is going to offer its support to the Malian government uh, in their struggle against uh, uh, Islamic re- uh, rebels in the north. Um, this, in one sense, is not surprising because China has, uh, well, on two fronts. One, China tends to support established governments. It does not like to see governments overthrown, uh, as we've seen in in, uh, in Mali. And in Mali, you know, is really being characterized as 
kind of the the, the casualty in the, the of, of of war from uh, from the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya and the instability in Libya spread with the Tuareg rebels across the border into Mali. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to put it. I don't know actually too much about the situation with the Chinese in Mali. There wasn't too much that was given out there. Uh, you know, Cobus. What what are your thoughts on on the general direction of what this uh, this story is going? Well, in the first place, the issue is is what do they mean with support? Um, because at the moment, um, ECOWAS, the uh, the East African um, community, um, is they want to deploy troops. Um, and France this week at the the UN General Assembly um, expressed support for that. Although France said that they would lend, also again lend support, but not deploy troops. So you know, the lending support would, you know, can mean a whole bunch of things, and they weren't exactly 100% clear what that support would be. America is also, um, in the words of Hillary Clinton, that also she's she's linking the terrorists in Mali, particularly uh, Al Qaeda in the, in the Islamic Maghreb, which is one of the one of the Islamic groups who's controlling uh, northern Mali. Um, she's linking them to the attacks on the American embassy in Libya. Um, so, you know, kind of, again, they also, America is also um, supports the formation of a comprehensive international effort on Mali, quote-unquote, led by UN envoy. Now, again, what that international effort would mean hasn't been defined. So, the fact that China is now throwing their weight in here is, on the one hand, incredibly vague, because we don't really know what they mean, and they're not saying what they mean. On the other hand, China has, it generally doesn't you know, participate in these kind of things. You know, kind of they, they tend to keep their distance frequently from the UN um, or, you know, from, from these kind of like UN sanctions and, you know, international kind of uh, involvement kind of uh, movements. Um, and it's also, it's, I mean, it's interesting that they seem to be supporting America and France uh, in, in that direction. Well, be, be careful said, on that. Yeah. yeah. You know, my only, my yeah, only, I mean, my only word again, of caution on that vague, is very know, vague, but yeah. also just to, you know, that... The, the, the Libya in question is very, very sensitive in China. Uh, although they abstained from the vote on UN Resolution 1973 that authorized a U- United Nations-backed force uh, to, to protect, at that time, Benghazi, not necessarily to go after Muammar Gaddafi, uh, the Chinese recoiled in horror. I mean, real horror when they when they saw how far that went and how the 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 kind of the the UN forces, um, the coalition really targeted uh, Muammar Gaddafi, and that was not part of the Chinese intent. Now, interestingly enough, Mali is linked to that. So I would be very surprised if the Chinese at the UN Security Council offered any type of support for a, a UN-sponsored military intervention or military activity of any kind in, in Mali. What may happen, as you suggested, Cobus, is that they will support ECOWAS. Uh, that may be through deployment of arms. I do not anticipate that you will see Chinese peacekeeping troops uh, in Mali. That said, there are large contingents of Chinese peacekeeping operations on, on in Africa, which a lot of people are not aware of, but you will probably not see them go into conflict in, in Mali. So, uh, uh, Sizwe, any, any, any final thoughts on this before we wrap up? Uh, is Mali on your radar at all? Um, the only thing I was really thinking of is, um, does America have a military base in Mali? And No. Um, it, that's, it's a former French territory. So if there is a territory. foreign... Uh, if there's a foreign power that has a, a sense of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of control or ownership, it's the French. All right. All but right. there is oil there, now, though. Oh, so that, you see, now that's what's surprising, you know. I, I, maybe I shouldn't say too much, but, uh, yeah, I just found it a, a, you know, a little bit surprising. 
China sending troops there. Yeah, no, you won't see Chinese. I, I highly doubt you'll see Chinese troops, but there. Uh, uh, Mali has a couple different things which are very important. I think it's one of the world's largest, uh, you know, deposits of uranium uh, and other types of uh, of nuclear materials. And then also, I think if I if I'm correct, and I may be incorrect here, there is considerable oil that's there. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I I say that is because when I was at France 24 in Paris uh, up until recently. I asked, I mean, they just gave so much coverage to, to Mali. And I said, who cares about Mali outside of, you know, it just didn't seem like a story that had that much resonance in the international community. And one of the justifications that they gave me for all this coverage that they gave was not just because they were French and there's a French connection to Mali, but also because there were some very important strategic minerals that are there. So I just say that, that the Chinese are always very much aware of in their resource diplomacy. And that may be, a, you know, a supporting factor here, much like their diplomacy that Zhong Jianhua is undertaking right now in the Sudan. So, well, we will we'll bring you any kind of, you know, analysis or insights or updates that come across our way on, on China and Mali. Uh, next week, we'll be back again with another edition of the China Africa podcast. In the meantime, we hope that you will, you know, join us over on Facebook, where we have a pretty lively conversation. Seasway, you've been, uh, you've checked out the page and the site. We've got about 13,000 followers, uh, m- mostly from Africa. So we're very excited to have that di- that dialogue going on. You can find us over at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. You can find Seasway there. You can find myself. Kobus checks in every once in a while. And Sherman, who is our community manager, she's now at Tsinghua Dashue, Tsinghua University in Beijing. And she's posting, uh, she's crossing over the, the, the Great Firewall to post uh, every, every once in a while. So we have a discussion that's going on over there. And we also post the podcast there. And you can listen to any of the past 25 episodes of the podcast. So, Kobus, can you believe we've done that many uh, podcasts? We're in our, it really is. We were in, we're, we're doing very well on that. So, uh, hey, Seasway, before we, uh, we, we leave, can you just uh, share with, you, with folks where they can follow you uh, on either Twitter or various social networks? Um, well, okay, you can, I have a blog, seaswaynovu.com, S-I-Z-W-E-N-D-L-O-V-U. And then my Twitter is also at Cizwenglovo. Excellent. Same, pretty much the same. And, yeah. uh, and I assume you're, you're tweeting on kind of African tech and South Africa tech? I, I tweet a lot about tech. I tweet a lot about um, African infrastructure. I think it's one of my, my, my passions as well. And I yeah, tweet a lot about yeah, tech things. Fantastic. Well, we're just so happy you were able to join us today, and thank you so much. And we'll go ahead and post some links to to various Twitter feeds and blogs up on our Facebook page. And Kobus, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can follow me. I'm at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting uh, the top China-Africa headlines almost every day. And, uh, of course, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And you can subscribe to the... Uh, to the podcast on iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, on Facebook. We're over on Stitcher as well. So we would love to hear your feedback. Post your comments. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Are there topics you want to hear? Anything that you want to kind of talk about, we'd be happy to share them on the show. So until next week, thank you so much for joining us on the China in Africa podcast. Talk to you again next week. Mm -hmm.